This is The Defrag, I'm Christopher Lawson. With the increasing conflict in Ukraine is a battle to keep vital services online. And in our now digital society, one of those vital lifelines is access to the internet. In the past week, Ukraine's Vice Prime Minister asked Elon Musk to provide Starlink services to the country. And within a matter of days, SpaceX had sent a shipment of Starlink terminals to Ukraine. Today, Elon followed up with a warning on Twitter that Starlink was the only non-Russian communication system in some parts of Ukraine and warned Ukrainians to use with caution as they may be targeted. He also recommended people place Starlink's antennas as far away from people as possible and to try and camouflage the antenna to avoid detection. So how is Ukraine's internet faring amongst all of this conflict? I think people started probably thinking that there would be a, uh, a massive cyber effort to shut down or hamper the internet and ICT operations in Ukraine. Um, certainly in the weeks leading up, um, there was you know, multiple hacks uh, which seems to have been attributed to Russia and they seemed mostly focused on you know, financial or government websites. But the underlying infrastructure uh, continued. And I think given the prelude, people probably suspected that by now there would be very little coming out of Ukraine. Well, my name is Simon Angus. I'm an Associate Professor for Economics uh, at Monash University. And I also am one of the co-founders and the current director of Monash IP Observatory. And we are able to measure uh, the quality and activity of the internet uh, anywhere around the globe in near real time. Our observations and uh, others who have a similar but kind of different approach but capability to what we do have all, I think, uh, found that the internet has been uh, remarkably robust. Um, there is uh, widespread connectivity. Um, there has been declines um, probably early on, uh, so at 5 a.m. on the you know, 24th of Feb when uh, just after Putin's first announcement of the special operation, as he called it, uh, we saw uh, a sudden drop in some locations, uh, for example, in the oblasts of uh, Kiev and uh, Kharkiv. But since then, those drops were only at the order of sort of 10 to 15 percent in connectivity, which is the way that we sort of talk about the uh, active uh, endpoints. So we actually measure individual uh, IP addresses. So all computers and so on have an IP address. And we have thousands of those that we're looking at all the time. In fact, hundreds of thousands across Ukraine. And we saw a number of them become offline, but only a relatively small percentage. And since then, the internet uh, largely um, has stayed probably uh, certainly above 50% in most of lasts and uh, in, in a majority of them kind of in the sort of 80, uh, 80% plus range. There have been steady declines though, and um, that yeah, is probably a different basis to it than some sort of infrastructural damage. And you might be wondering, how are Simon and the team at the Monash IP Observatory actually measuring the internet connectivity in Ukraine? Well, it turns out what they're measuring is whether or not devices are actually connecting to the internet. Our measurement basis is um, effectively, if uh, some of your audience might be familiar with something called a ping, which is the internet slang. It's a way of just saying, are you online? Uh, It's probably one of the simplest things you do when you open up a terminal is you might want to ping, you know, uh, a website like the ABC website or something and just check you're online. Most people do that these days with a browser and tap in some website and, you know, have we lost internet? And they put in some browser, they put in some address that they know is always online or if it's not online, it's, you know, Armageddon. And 
they're basically like, oh, okay, we've got internet connection. A ping's just like that, but it's a bit more technical. Uh, it's a very low-fi kind of thing. So um, our measurement basis is really, is this device connected to the internet? That's the kind of question that we're asking. It's not anything to do with what can be then seen with that connection. So there are other organisations which try to think about um, shutting down or blocking parts or access of the internet. So, for example, major platforms or social media. Um, but to do it, to, to, to get access to those, you've got to have an, you've got to be online. You've got to have an active internet connection. Um, and we focus on that. The Monash IP Observatory has monitored a number of significant events and conflicts around the world. So in a conflict situation like Ukraine, what are some of the reasons internet infrastructure could go offline? Obviously, if you don't have electricity, um, you typically don't have an internet connection. So that's one of them, if you lose power. Uh, and we see that, for example, in the Venezuelan um, power crisis and kind of political standoff and so on. Um, we could quite easily see an almost immediate 100% drop in connectivity in the country. And then it kind of staggered itself back on, back to 100% as different parts of the country uh, got their electricity back. Um, we can, uh, we also, when we're, um, we, when we've got electricity, then we still need to have an active infrastructure. So we need to be able to get the signals that are coming from the worldwide internet infrastructure, which is a, you know, basically sets of computers all around the world, which are redirecting and routing traffic. They need to be able to communicate into the country, you know, down to my district, into my house, and then back out again to get those kind of connections occurring. And at any point along the way, there could be a blockage, which could mean that one of those routers or switches is lost because it's been damaged, um, or it's been turned off, or you've got someone or some entity who's made a decision. Usually it has to be at the internet service provider, so the ISPs. Most of us will have some company we know is providing our internet. What they are basically doing is managing the traffic on the fixed infrastructure. And they can they can be um, forced to, asked to, pressured to, stop permitting those signals to move, the kind of what we call packets of information to move across their infrastructure. So um, that, Having electricity is one thing, then you kind of need the, the sort of pipes of the internet to still be working. And then you need to make sure that no one's blocking the pipes. Um, so that's the sort of, you know, when someone hits the sort of kill switch of the internet, um, they don't usually blow up the switch, but they just stop it. Uh, they say no more packets moving. Um, and then finally, if those little things are still working, we can still see a decline in connectivity because people have left their home or their office or they're not turning up to work as normal because they've evacuated or they're in a bomb shelter. Um, and what we would then see is, I think, which is quite, um, that's the fingerprint of most of what we're seeing in Ukraine, is just a steady kind of chronic decline in internet connectivity as, you know, at the margin, another household, another, you know, workplace, and uh, another um, individual leaves their home or their place. And that connection that they did have, which was online and there was a computer or a device that was using the internet is no longer doing it and so we would register that their modem actually goes to sleep and says i'm not online basically gives a a, a response like that as simon mentioned the internet infrastructure in ukraine has mostly remained online and any declines have been gradual likely as people pack up and leave their homes and head to safety but there is still significant concern that internet infrastructure could be damaged as the conflict heats up. So how important is it that we keep Ukraine online? That's coming up after this short break.
Thanks for listening to The Defrag. Our goal with the show is to build a self-sustaining news brand that dives into and explores the intersection of technology, business, politics, and science. For The Defrag to be a true success, we really need your support. We don't want to be reliant on just having to find advertisers, but we do want the core of our content to remain free. Which is why at our website, thedefrag.com, you can support the show by becoming a member of our free newsletter, or you can become a paid supporter. There are membership plans ranging from just $9 a month up to $50 a month, depending on how you want to support the show. And for your support, you'll get a range of different perks, including an ad-free version of the podcast, access to exclusive VIP events and live streams, and we'll send everyone that signs up a sticker pack. You can find out more at our website, thedefrag.com. The conflict in Ukraine has led to concerns that communications infrastructure like the internet could be damaged. This is part of the reason that SpaceX sent Starlink terminals to the country. So could a service like Starlink keep Ukraine online if other infrastructure is damaged? Yes, it will help in the sense that um, having... So there's been a shipment of terminals that have arrived. Um, the, you know, the, the minister took a photo of them. There's probably about 100 to 200 terminals in that container that arrived. But the thing you've got to keep in mind is that one terminal in the Starlink system means one internet connection. And so um, whilst this is probably going to be really crucial and helpful for um, particularly his ministry and others like it who are running cyber operations and monitoring the internet and so on and you know how this is happening in the country and and to be honest receiving a lot of external um, uh, help from those in the kind of cyber community and that that's obviously needs them to have an internet for it I don't think that it's probably going to be a you know uh, now the internet in the Ukraine will be online forever because um, it's just not going to scale so they might be able to create a local network um, they might get you know 20, 30, 40 people online through a Starlink system and sharing that connection. But it's probably going to be used in a precise way to assist with their government operations and so on. And there are risks. I mean, um, there have been a number of people who have pointed to the fact that um, those terminals connecting to satellites will actually have an electromagnetic fingerprint. You'll be able to potentially see them if you've got the right instrumentation on a targeting or you know guidance system. And so, of course, the internet, being the internet, has filled up with advice about how to hide them and experiments done to you know what kind of things to cover them with that still retains the signal but makes them impossible to see. Even Elon Musk has provided advice on how to camouflage Starlink systems. In a tweet posted today following up on his concerns that Starlink systems could be targeted, Musk recommended that Ukrainians place a light camouflage material over the top of the Starlink system or else spray paint it with a non-metallic based paint. And, you know, suggestions about how to use them intermittently versus, you know, uh, continuously and so on. Um, these are all, you know, that's all helpful, but I think you've got to realise that, you know, a satellite connection has got, you know, is, is creating electromagnetic signatures and um, the warfare that is occurring these days, our understanding is that public internet, which is what we look at, is actually just one layer. Um, most militaries, when they go somewhere, will actually establish their own um, secure um, ICT system and it, it may or may not have anything to do with the public internet. Um, and they are very advanced in managing that kind of electromagnetic space. So um, the 
the terminals I think are helpful. Uh, they hopefully will be safe and I think it's a great, you know, it, it will help, but it, it's not going to keep kind of the whole of Ukraine online for, you know, through this conflict. Something that I have found fascinating through this conflict is how Ukraine has utilised social media like Twitter to encourage support from the global community. So how important is access to the internet, especially in war-torn countries like Ukraine? It's vital. Uh, I can't stress how uh, that enough. Um, the reason why it's vital, I mean, there's a range of things you can line up to say why it's vital. But I think the chief most amongst them, and one of our, you know, we, we provide data to the, you know, UN, uh, the Office of the High Commission for Human Rights, for this very reason, it's the human rights concern. So there is a growing and I think chilling kind of reality that if you look at um, places where political stouches have occurred, conflicts have occurred, the internet is now considered somewhat of the commanding heights um, of you know a military or political campaign. And you need to get control of it. And you can realise that it is going to expose your behaviour and your um, your deeds faster and with better documentation as people bear witness to them. And so we now see that the loss of internet, shutting it down through any of the mechanisms I mentioned, is unfortunately often the pretext for human rights violations and atrocities. We've seen that most recently in Myanmar, and uh, it is it is used almost like a psychological telltale signal that something bad is about to happen. And we don't just mean a military bad, we mean often something awful. And so uh, I, I think we all need to be doing whatever we can to ask and encourage. And, uh, you know, that's why I applaud Elon Musk. I said, you know, there's benefits and risks to that. But we all need to, as much as we can in the international community, trying to make sure that we keep the internet on in Ukraine. And it's that's the chief reason. There are secondary and third reasons, which are obviously about getting that information out as fast as possible um, and uh, for the community itself to be able to communicate really necessary and often life-saving information about um, when an air raid, air raid siren, you know, when, a, when an air attack is occurring or where positions are that you need to avoid or where, you know, uh, humanitarian corridors are and so on. That's all really important. But I think the biggest concern we have is that a dark Ukraine on the internet will lead to uh, a behaviours and outcomes which will be even more awful than what we've seen. And uh, Russia has game at that. And I think that is a, that's the major concern. That's why I think it's vital uh, that we do what we can in the international community to keep their internet up and running as best as possible uh, so that we can, uh, in the kind of arc of history, uh, accountability, and hopefully deterrence through that accountability will uh, lay everywhere in Ukraine. Also in the news today, Russia says it will no longer sell rocket engines to the United States. Dmitry Rogozin, head of Russia's space agency Roscosmos, said in a Russian TV interview that they can't continue to supply the US with the world's best rocket engines and, I quote, let them fly on something else. They're broomsticks. I don't know what. While the decision won't affect many US missions, there are concerns over what this means for deliveries to the International Space Station. 
The United Nations is set to create a plastic pollution treaty after leaders from 175 countries voted to address the growing environmental problem. The UN Environment Assembly met this week in Nairobi, Kenya, and voted to create the treaty by 2024. 400 million tonnes of plastic waste is created every year, and that's set to double by 2040. Inga Anderson, executive director of the UN Environment Program, said in a speech that this would be the greatest multilateral environmental deal since the Paris Agreement. And Volvo is working to create wireless electric vehicle charging in a live city environment. The company will roll out a small fleet of XC40 recharge vehicles in Sweden as part of a three-year trial. The cars will operate as taxis and are designed to see if wireless charging technology would be viable in a real-world environment. Defrag is a production of Lawson Media. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Christopher Lawson. And if you love what we're doing with the show, then I encourage you to join the Defrag community. You can find us on Discord. It's completely free to join and there's a link in the episode show notes. That's all the news for this week. I'll be back with more on Monday.